Good morning, how we doing? Good? Good to see you. Everybody around here at Orland, welcome, welcome. Everybody out at New Linux, uh, welcome to you. Homer Glenn, hello, Homer Glenn, everybody online. Glad you're around here at Parkview uh, this weekend. Um, it's, it's just good to be together. And uh, the last few weeks, um, it, it's, uh, it's been mentioned, we're remembering some of the things that have happened, but uh, I've just been hearing from people online and around campus this weekend that uh, just feel like God's moving and doing some things in us and through us and with our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our neighbors. And, and I think it's amazing just to stop a moment and reflect on that because not only just the many, many, many people who have been coming around you know, uh, Palm Sunday a few weeks ago, 250 people uh, plus, you know, saying, I want to do with my life what Jesus did with his and in that death, burial, and resurrection. And so they're being baptized down into the water and they're coming back to a new life. And, and so that, that's incredible to celebrate that and, and the thousands of lives and homes and schools and businesses that are changed as that ripples out into uh, the city, and uh, and then last weekend, just an incredible time to gather all over the city at our campuses and really have a, a exciting, powerful Easter for the first time. It kind of maybe feels like uh, for a while for so many of us coming back, and and the teaching time that was there, and the creative elements in the prison, and and then even Pastor Tim, part of his refrain last weekend being. It's never too late to mend. I don't know if you were around last weekend, but it's never too late to mend. Jesus can put you back together. Come to Jesus. He can help repair those parts of you. It was an incredible, incredible reminder. And, and uh, so it's, it's just been, it's been good. And I think it's good for us to think about, not just move on into the next series and fall, but let's, let's thank God for what he's doing and how he's moving uh, um, among us. It's pretty incredible. And so I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad... To, uh, to know that God is powerful and active in our families and our friends around here. Now today, um, we're going to head into a new series soon, but not today. Today, I want us to take a moment and I want to share a message with you that I've been thinking about that God put on my heart for about the last seven or ten days. So it's pretty fresh. This, this is something that God's been doing inside of me, and I'm going to share it with you today. And it makes great sense to me in my mind. I hope it makes great sense to you as I share it this weekend, um, but to get us going in the same direction, let me just ask you this. Have you ever heard of one of these, a nostalgic futurist? And maybe you're thinking right now, Todd, I don't, I don't know, the nostalgic futurist, I, it kind of sounds familiar, I kind of know those words, I don't know if I, I don't know if exactly I know what that is, I don't know exactly you know, if I've heard of that. Well, if, if you don't exactly know what it is, it, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, because I actually made it up, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's something that I made up. It's, I mean, it's a real thing. I, I'm one, okay? It, it, so it's real. I, I'm a nostalgic futurist, but I would understand if you don't completely understand what I'm talking about because it's new, right? I, I made it up. So, so just to make sure we're all traveling in the same direction here uh, today, let me share with you the definition, my definition, of a nostalgic futurist. This is not in the dictionary yet, A nostalgic futurist is a person who is always looking back and dreaming forward 
and finds it hard to live in the present. Always looking back on things and how they were and what we experienced and always dreaming forward and planning and preparing for the future and finds it hard to live in the present. Maybe you're one of these two. Maybe you can resonate with some of this. I, I love looking back. I, I just do. And one of my very favorite things, my family is always razzing me because what I always do, I just do this all the time. I, I, text, I send text messages to my family and to my kids and I say things like, hey, this time last night, remember what we were doing? And my kids are always like, uh, yeah, it was last night, Dad. We, we, we know. Or I, I'm saying, hey, this time last month, remember we were at this time last month? Or hey, 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 this time last year on this weekend, remember what we were doing? I'm always sending that kind of stuff. And one of my favorite things uh, with my phone, one of my very favorite things is like when some of my social media apps uh, or on my camera roll in my phone, it, it will pop up and it will show me like pictures of, of the last week or, or last month or last year, something like that. Some of you maybe hate that. I love it. I love it. And I share that stuff. I send it to everyone, okay? I just do. I, I love that stuff. This weekend, I look back on my phone, my camera roll, and things that are popping up this, this weekend for me is I, I look back. I, I, I love this. Here's, here's one of the things. This is from seven years ago. This weekend, seven years ago, I was with my daughter Ruby on a mission trip in Ecuador. She had given her 16th birthday, she's 16 years old, to want to build a house for someone. Don't give me gifts. Give me money to build a house. She raised enough money to build two houses for people in Ecuador. So we were down there building houses for people. She's 16 years old. Now she's you know, married and has a job and has her own life. I can't believe it. Um, but this was incredible to think about. Three years ago, this pops up. This weekend, three years ago, I was with my son Cole downtown Chicago, and we were looking at Columbia to, for him to go to school, for him to go to college. That's where he was going to commit to go and did. And, and now here he is just with a year of college left already like that. He's getting ready to go into his senior year. That was just three years ago. That's popping up this weekend. Now, you know, I'm getting all teary and stuff like that. This day, the 24th last year, this pops up on my camera roll. This, this is me and my wife last year. We're sitting on the beach. We're sitting on the beach in Laguna this time, this Sunday last year. And then this comes up on my camera roll. This goes way back. This goes way back this morning. I'm looking at this while I'm having coffee early this morning, like 6.30 in the morning. This goes way back, like 15, 16, 17 years. My little kiddo's crawling on me. This comes up from this weekend last year. And listen, listen, now they're all big, right? And, and they have, you know, they have their own lives. I, it's hard to believe, and, you know, that they're actually allowed to do that, but they are. And, <laughs> but I love it. I love looking back and remembering moments that changed everything or mile markers. I'm a nostalgic futurist. And that brings me to what I want us to study this weekend. It's the week after Easter. One week ago was the big day. And if you look back a week, what happened, what Jesus did, changed everything for everyone. It really did. And before we just head on into a new spring and a new series, I want us just to look back on last weekend for just a moment. Because if you were living in the first century and had social media, like what happened last week, if you had TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, it would have gone viral. In fact, in fact, it did. And what Jesus did last weekend in the death and the resurrection, we are still feeling the effects of that today, what happened. And I want us to just be really clear on how that changed everything for our lives. And I want us to look at this in our study today through the lens and through the eyes of somebody who's living in the first century. 
but then also how it affects us today. So here we go. If you're taking notes, let's jump into this. A week ago, if you go back to the first century, a week ago, you were still uncertain of death. Before last Sunday, when you die, what happens? What's going to happen? A week ago on this planet, uh, before Jesus died and resurrected, you were following this guy named Jesus, and you felt like, you know, he's, he may be the Messiah. He's doing all kinds of incredible things and in teaching and miracles. He, he may be the Savior come to save God's people. And then about a week ago, in a pretty quick turn of events, he was brought into town, celebrated, and then he was captured, and he was accused, and then he was crucified. He died on a Roman cross, and then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And up until, just let your mind settle into this, up until last week, up until last weekend, the percentage of people who died and stayed dead was right at 100%. Okay, it was pretty much exactly 100% until last weekend. What happened last Sunday was unbelievable because Jesus died, but then he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And if you were a first century follower of Jesus and you were sitting around this Sunday looking back as a nostalgic futurist on last week, you would have said to yourself, what, what happened? What, I mean, are you kidding me? Are, are you stinking kidding me? Did, 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 this, did this really happen? You see, what Jesus did last Sunday changed everything for everyone. And, and I know you know this, if you've been a church person, this is so in our heads, but I want us to just let this seep into our hearts in a new way. Leading up to last weekend, the whole world, all of humanity had only known this, death and burial. There had been centuries of death and burial. You died and you were buried. You died and you were buried. Your friend died and they were buried. Your parents died and they were buried. Your kid died and they were buried. It was just a whole lot of that. This is the way it had been for thousands and thousands of years. You die and you're buried. You die and you're buried. And then last weekend, we added a word. We added a word to it. Remember, it's the word, what? Say that resurrection. It's death, burial, and resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus, him coming back to life, is indeed what galvanized the Christian faith. It's, what, it's the event that you and I put our Christian faith on. A lot of times people will say, you know, I, the Bible is the foundation for my faith. And I understand that I, I love the Bible. The Bible is so foundational for so many of us in our lives and wisdom. But the first century followers of Jesus who were walking around did not have the Bible the way we have the Bible. It was still letters being written and passed around, right? And the thing that led them to live the way they lived and launch the church was the death, burial, and the resurrection. That changed everything last weekend. In fact, let's just go back for just a moment to last Sunday morning. Get nostalgic with me for just a moment. Very early... On Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb and taking spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked them, why are you looking among the dead to find someone who's alive. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you? 
Back when he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. So Jesus shares this with them, and and then he does it. Up until this point, when you died, it was just death, and there was a whole lot of insecurity in that and uncertainty in that I don't, I don't know what happens when I die if you were living a, a, a week ago. And then all of a sudden Jesus dies and comes back to life. And he takes the sting out of death. And he takes the uncertainty out of death. And Jesus indeed says, listen, listen, if I can do this, if you're in me, you will also rise again. And people are like, what? In fact, Jesus says this. Look at this verse in the book of John. Jesus told her, this is to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Jesus removed the uncertainty of, hey, I don't know. I, <laughs> when you die, you're probably just kind of done. No, no, no. Jesus comes back again and says, you can also do that the way I did if you're in me, and that changes everything. Here's another thing that happened last Sunday, okay? Ready for this? A week ago, you were still trying to live perfectly. Still trying to live perfectly. You see, a lot of these folks in the first century, a lot of these people who started following Jesus were also Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish, right? And here's what happens. A lot of these people start hanging out with Jesus. They see his incredible wisdom. They see his miracles that he's doing and all this stuff. And and he transforms their life. And he gives them new hope and peace. He gives them new purpose for their lives. They are thrilled about this. But here's what happens. Remember, again, right here when Jesus lived, here's what happens. A lot of these people who are following after Jesus, they begin to try and mix and try and merge together like the old Jewish model that they had all grown up with for thousands of years, the old Jewish model, and the new Christian model that Jesus was bringing. They kind of saw Jesus as just an extension or an add-on to what they already had. So you had Jesus, but you also needed Judaism and all of these old laws and, and, and things like that. So they taught that, yeah, Jesus is definitely the Messiah. You need him. But there's all of these other rules and regulations and things you need to do to get close to God and get into heaven someday. And so what it was is this. During Jesus' day, it looked like this. It was Jesus plus. Jesus plus this and this and this. We love Jesus. We're thankful for Jesus. But hey, listen, listen, listen. Don't forget, he died and was buried. And so we still have all these other things we need to do if we're going to get close to God, right? And a week ago, before Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus plus was very, very popular. Very popular. And in fact, it made a lot of sense, to be honest, because there were a lot of rules and regulations, things that God had given to to his people. There were a lot of sacrifices and there were a lot of ceremonies and things like that that people needed to do to, to get close to God. Catch this. People were trying to live perfectly so they could get close to a perfect God. They were trying to keep all the rules and regulations and everything just right. And then Jesus came. This time last week, Jesus is on the earth. Jesus comes and he does something that we could never do. He lives a perfect life. 
And then last Sunday, he, he gives up his perfect life. He dies and becomes a perfect sacrifice for us. Since last Sunday, 2,000 years ago, friends, listen, it's no longer just about, you know, what you do and do this and don't do this and you got to be sure and, you know, not do that. It's no longer about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Amen? It's about what he's done in our lives. And it, it changes everything when he comes and lays out that perfect life for us. Some of you may remember, I've told you about uh, my daughter Ruby when she was little. She was just a little one, maybe second, third grade. And I took her to a passion play around Easter time out in Los Angeles at a church there called Shepherd Church. It's actually the church she works at now, so it's pretty cool. Um, and I took her to this passion play. And if you've never been to a passion play uh, at a church or something like that, here's what it is. It, it depicts the last week, usually, in the life of Jesus. So it's all about Jesus with his disciples and the Last Supper and the garden and then being caught and beaten and betrayed and shows Jesus on the cross and then the tomb and then coming again to a new life and, you know, the whole thing wraps up with that. So we're sitting here in Los Angeles. This is it's incredible. I mean, the people who are doing this, they've been doing it for years. They have this huge set that looks like Hollywood and these people are incredible singers and actors. And, and I mean, it, it's got all, all kinds of special effects and they've got live animals, you know, coming down. If you were sitting there, there's live animals coming down. You know, there's like donkeys and horses and things like that. And you're like, is that real? Like, hello, that is real. These are sheep. These are real sheep. I mean, it is smelly in here, right? That's, I mean, that, that's, that's like what's going on. And then when Jesus dies on the cross, there's all kinds of effects. And I mean, it looks like somebody's dying, okay? So we're, we're sitting here. We're on the back. My daughter Ruby is standing on the chair. I'm standing right beside her. We're watching this. I wanted to take her out if she got scared. And so I, I'm getting emotional. I'm getting nervous for some of this. I, I look at my daughter Ruby. She's not phased at all. She, she's not laughing. She, she's not crying. She's, it's, it's like she, she's, she's okay. She goes through the whole thing. We get in the car, and I'm explaining some stuff to her, and we go home, and she's totally fine. A week later, my daughter Ruby is riding with her mom, my wife Renee, on one of the freeways in Los Angeles. And she's in that little back seat thing, you know, you, you, you harness them into, you buckle them in. And she just starts screaming out, I don't want to die! I don't want to die! I don't want to die! Which is something a lot of people think when they're driving in L.A., but... Um, <laughs> She's too young. She doesn't know that. She's little. She's little. And she doesn't even know that that's a thing. But she, she, she won't stop screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And so finally, no kidding, Renee has to pull the car over. And she looks back and she says, Ruby, what's going on? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, and, and Renee says, oh, Ruby, when, when we die, we get to go be in heaven with Jesus. And, and, Ruby says, and Ruby says, yeah, I know, you know, but how long do I need to be up there? And Renee says, oh, Ruby, you know, when we go to heaven, we're going to be with Jesus for, forever. We'll be with him forever. It'll be great. And she keeps crying. She goes, no, 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 no. Not how long do I need to be in heaven. How long do I need to be on the cross? And she thought that because when I was at the Passion Play with her the week before, I'd been telling her when we saw the cross and everything, I'm like, that's, this is the moment. That's how it's through the cross of Jesus, it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that you and I get to go to heaven. It's because of that cross that we get to go to heaven. And this little girl had been thinking for the last week that the way she gets there, she's going to have to go to a cross too. And my wife Renee said, oh, Ruby, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus did that so you would never have to. 
Friends, listen, never forget. What Jesus did last week in giving up his perfect life for us and making it a perfect sacrifice, that changed everything for me and you. And we're still feeling the effects of that, even as we sit here right now, today. Which leads us to one other thing that changed last week. And that is a week ago, if you're living in first century times and by extension today, you are still offering sacrifices. You're still bringing sacrifices. Oh, a week ago, before Jesus died and defeated death, when you went to church or the temple, you would always bring an animal with you. You would always bring a dove or a lamb or something like that to sacrifice. And if you didn't have a sacrifice, like if you got to church and you didn't have something to sacrifice, no big deal, because there were all kinds of people who had set up shop just outside the church, and they would sell you animals. They would sell you a dove, or they would sell you a lamb that you could sacrifice. Now, it was going to be very expensive if you forgot it, but they would sell you one. And and here's the thing for us to get our minds around. This is so hard for you and I several thousand years later to actually keep in our minds and remember. But in in that day, before last week, here's the thing. In, In order for worship to happen, something had to die. If you were going to go worship, something had to die. And here's my guess. For all of our campuses, all around here at Parkview, not once, not one time has any of you at any Parkview campus come to church with a dove or a lamb or anything like that. I I doubt it. I, I doubt if anybody has. None of you getting up on Sunday morning, you're trying to get all the kids ready and stuff like that. None of you said, oh, whoa, 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 wait, 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 be sure you get the lamb. Get the lamb in the back of the minivan. Don't, don't, forget, don't forget the lamb. None of us have ever done that. And that's the way, if you came to church to worship, that's what happened for literally thousands of years. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? You know Why? It's because of what Jesus did last Sunday. What Jesus did last Sunday changed everything for everyone. He became our sacrifice. The big the Bible word for this, if, if you're studying the Bible, a student of the Bible, the big Bible word would be a substitute atonement. The word atonement means to pay the price for something or to pay the penalty for something. And the word substitute, you know, is someone who steps in and does it for you. So a substitute atonement is somebody who steps in and pays the price for you or something like that. And this whole idea of substitute atonement is all throughout the Bible. It's a thread that goes all throughout the Bible, starting at the very, very beginning. Now let's take just a moment to to review And to look back on some of this, the book of Genesis. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Very beginning of creation. Adam and Eve are in this perfect place in the garden, and they don't have all kinds of rules and regulations. They don't have Ten Commandments. There's no Ten Commandments yet written on stone. They have like one commandment written on a note card, right? It's just one thing. And the one thing is, don't eat 
do not eat from that tree. And you guys know what happens. They eat from it. And immediately they begin to feel shamed and embarrassed for what they've done. They feel guilty. And they know they're outside God's guidance and they, they have sinned. They're going to have to, he says they're going to die. And so in Genesis chapter 3, the very next chapter, there's the very first ever game of hide and go seek. It's a big game of hide and seek in the garden. And it doesn't last long. I mean, hide and seek with God doesn't work well. He sees, you know, stuff. He finds them really quick. They're naked and ashamed and all this afraid and that kind of thing and embarrassed. And he finds them. And here's what happens. The Bible says, instead of God taking their life, which is what he said was going to happen, God goes out and kills an animal as a substitute for them. And he takes the animal and he says that he makes clothes for them. He covers them, their nakedness with these clothes and he covers their shame. And here's the thing. This is kind of interesting. Before this time in scripture, in the Bible, in humanity, we don't ever hear of anything dying. There's, there's no record of anything dying. And so this could very well be the first time that something dies. Can you imagine the horror of Adam and Eve in this perfect place, in this garden, and they hear the sound of an animal dying for the first time, and they realize it's for them. This is the first occurrence of this substitute type atonement, something being brought for us. Fast forward again to the book of Exodus in the Bible, which is the very next um, a book in the Bible. God's people have been in captivity in Egypt for like 400 years, and they've been crying out to God to be set free, and God finally hears them, and he finds this guy named Moses out in the desert, right? And he starts talking to Moses at the burning bush. Some of you know the story of the burning bush. And, and Moses finally says, okay, I'll go to Pharaoh, and I will see what I can do. And God gives him like a one-sentence sermon, and that is, let my people go. And Pharaoh over and over says, no. And Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so he brings all these 10 plagues on Egypt. And as you get to the 10th plague, it is by far the most severe. Some of you remember what the 10th plague is. God says, I'm going to move throughout Egypt tonight. And I am going to strike down the firstborn in every family. But if you are my people, if you will go out into your field and you will find your best lamb, your prized lamb, and you will take that and kill that lamb, and you will take the blood of that lamb, and do you remember what he said? Put it over the doorposts, right? Paint it. Paint the blood of that lamb over the doorposts in your house. I will pass over you. Remember the Passover? I will pass over you. God is essentially saying to them, I will allow you to substitute the life of your perfect lamb for the life of your firstborn. And so from that point on, for centuries, for thousands of years, people would offer these sacrifices to cleanse and purify themselves and try and atone for themselves before a perfect and holy God. Whenever they came to church, whenever they came to the temple, they would have something to atone, to bring as a sacrifice. And there's no doubt that through the centuries, millions and millions of these lambs have been sacrificed as atoning sin offerings. And then finally you come to the New Testament of the Bible. And there's this guy named John the Baptist. 
Some of you know John the Baptist. He's out preaching to people around this river, and then he's getting down in this river, and he's baptizing. Like a lot of folks were baptized the last few weekends, he is baptizing people. And, and John the Baptist, as he is baptizing people on this river, he looks up and he sees Jesus, who's just come on the scene. And he sees Jesus standing on the riverbank, and he says, whoa, 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 hey. Here's what he says, John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is standing out there in the water. He's baptizing people, and he says, whoa, 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 everybody, everybody, look, look, that's the guy. This whole sacrificial system for all of these centuries, this, that's who it's been pointing to. It's that guy right over there. Parkview, the reason The reason you and I have never brought a lamb with us to church is because of what Jesus did last Sunday. He became that sacrificial lamb for every one of us. And that changes everything. Amen? We are still feeling the effects of that today. And the way we arrive here at church. Maybe last weekend around Easter, you came in here, came into one of the campuses, and, and the truth is you were feeling pretty heavy, like you couldn't hardly breathe, and you had a lot of guilt in your life, maybe because of something you'd done or you felt ashamed. And last weekend, you learned that it's not just about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. It's not about karma, like Tim said, it's about grace. And you maybe realized that last Easter weekend as you were around one of the campuses for the first time, and, and all this week it's kind of like you can breathe again. Maybe, maybe that happened with you last weekend. Or is even spilling over into today. Maybe you came in last weekend realizing, you know what, okay, here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know about God. Here's what I know about church. Here's what I know about Easter time. I know that there's a good God way up there somewhere. There's a good God up in a good heaven. And, and the way I'm going to get to a good God up in a good heaven is just to be really good. I need to be really good if I'm going to get to a good heaven and a good God. That's what I need to do. I need to be good. And what you learned last weekend is we can never be good enough. And the way you and I get to a good God way up in a good heaven is that we accept his really good, amazing, perfect son. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Amen? It's accepting Jesus' sacrifice into our lives. Maybe last weekend you showed up at Easter, and it kind of, maybe last weekend at Easter did change everything for you. Because up until last weekend, maybe you kind of thought God was mad at you. I'll go, but because of what I've done, I'm pretty sure God's mad at me. What I'm doing right now, Todd, I have stuff on the calendar. I'm getting ready to do stuff. It's probably not good. Later, today, God's not happy. God is mad at me. Maybe you came in thinking God was mad, and you walked out realizing that God has done whatever he could do to mend you, to bring you back to him, to accept you, to love you. He's not mad. He wants to mend you, and it changed everything for you. One moment, one moment with God and his son Jesus and understanding what happened last Sunday can change everything in your life, in your family, with your kids, with your friends, with your grandkids. And some of you have experienced that. 
Some of you maybe are experiencing that today. As light bulbs are coming on going, wow. I really still am living in the effect of what Jesus did, even right now. It's a beautiful thing. Next weekend around here, we have another opportunity for you to bring and invite someone. We have Mike Singletary, coach, with us next weekend. and Maybe next weekend's a great opportunity for, if you've experienced life change, maybe next weekend's a great opportunity for you to reach out to a friend or a classmate or a neighbor, coworker, and bring them here, bring them on campus, and just see what God might do. Because God can do in just a few minutes what none of us could do in months or years, amen? He can change and rearrange our hearts. It's never, it's never too late to mend and to come back to him. So I just want us to think about that today. Before we start heading into our life in the spring and living in the future, let's just think back, let's be nostalgic for a moment and remember all that Jesus has done in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thanks for this week after the big week, the week after Easter. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us in a way that sticks with us to realize that what happened is so pivotal and so life-changing even for us today. That we don't have to try and live perfectly anymore. We don't have to bring sacrifices with us to church when we come. We don't have to be uncertain of what happens when we die. We know that we can come to life again and live with you. God, thank you so much for what you've done for us and your grace upon our lives. I pray that we would live in that this entire week and even now as we come to remember your sacrifice. Let our hearts really personalize and appreciate and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, Amen.